Christ, Lord, would be one, God, that we found through revelation, God, and not from the words of just another man. God, but it would come from your heart, God, and your voice in our lives. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that they would find community. God, Christ-like community in this place, God, that they would feel welcomed in. And Heavenly Father, that you would be at the forefront of all of this. God, for we are not here for our own glory. God, we are not here for our own sake, God, but we are here because you have given us the opportunity to kneel before the throne, God, and, and say and sing and lift up our voices to you, God, who saved us. And so I pray, Lord, that your will would be done tonight. God, we thank you for, again, this opportunity that we have to come before you and to exalt you in this place. Lord, so I pray over tonight, God, would you, would you make yourself known Yes, Father. God, we know that none of this would be possible if it weren't for your son Jesus and the work that he has done on the cross. And we thank you for the gift that he is. And so we bless you tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Every day is full of options, full of decisions, full of choices a chance to change, an opportunity to grow. We only get one chance in this life. Every moment is a new moment, a new opportunity to make a change. Our decisions shape us into who we are, but our decisions can change who we'll be. So I know it starts with me. It's my choice to change the norm. It's my decision to make things better. Who else is gonna make a difference? I'm not built to wait for change. I'm made to awaken it. All right. Now, I didn't ask a question at the beginning. I'm curious, who started school this week? Like, any? <laughs> I'm sorry. Now, listen, it's called It Starts. I just needed to see who actually started school because that's fun. But listen, here at C12, we are in this series called It Starts because what I talked about at the beginning, we're beginning a brand new vision here for the ministry and the place that we want to go this semester and even further into the future because I believe that here at C12, we can become a movement and it can all start here. We can become a force in this church and in this community and in your friends and in the kingdom that that can happen here. And so as we talk about how it starts, last week we kicked it off by talking about how a movement actually begins. And the three main ways we looked at that is that it starts with God, and then it starts with vision, and then it starts with you. It starts with every one of you. That you have to decide to step into the potential that God would have for your life. The things he wants to do in you is going to take you committing. It's going to take your obedience. It's going to take you signing on and say, you know what? I'll start something in my own life so that I can be a part of what's starting here. And see, this really goes into you growing up, you becoming more of an adult, you becoming more mature in your faith. And see, there's a prayer that I pray over every single one of you. My prayer for this ministry, for you that are here in this room, is Luke 2.52. 
that you would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and with men, just like Jesus did. It's the prayer that I pray over my kids. It's the prayer that I believe God prays over me. It's the prayer I pray over you. Because God wants us to grow up in our faith. And a big way that we're going to do that is when we find ourselves being committed to the movements that he wants to do. Because see, this is a huge vision for where we're going in C12, the things we're talking about. But really, it's God's vision. It's God's movement because this is God's ministry. And I know that there's a big portion of your college life that is in the balance that depends upon what we're going to talk about tonight. It's an element of community. And I know this because I had to experience this as well. I'm 28 years old. I'm not too much older than all of y'all. And I was in college less than a decade ago. Now, that sounds like a long time. I just had my 10-year high school reunion. That makes me feel old. But I was in college less than 10, so I'm trying to fight the fact that I have a few gray hairs. It's okay, though. See, I had to learn not just how to survive the college years. I had to learn how to thrive in my college years. And I want you to be able to do the same thing. So for me, I have a similar story to many of you. When I started college, I went to high school around here. I went to Central Gwinnett right down the road, 04. See hi. Um, for real, some of y'all went to Central? Okay. I like you. Uh, we're friends. Um, so we went there, I went there in high school, and then I actually stayed here my freshman year in college. I went to what is now GGC. At the time was Georgia Perimeter. I went my freshman year. Um, did a bunch of classes. Got really loaded up in all my core work. It's a smart thing to do. Uh, and then for me, while I was here, I was helping out in different ministries. I helped out in the high school ministry, actually, at this church when Kevin Queen was leading it. Led a Bible study in a small group through another church that I was involved in. And I was just highly involved in my time here. And then my sophomore year, that fall semester, I went up to UGA. And when I moved to Athens, I had a little bit of a dilemma. I didn't really know many people. A lot of the community that I built in my life was here. It was where I'd grown up. I'd been around this area since I was like eight years old, and everyone I knew basically was here. So I go to Athens, and I didn't have a ton of friends. I had a lot of friends here, not a ton of friends there. And so a prevailing prayer that I had in my time going into Athens was, God, I pray that you'd bring friends into my life. I prayed for friends. And the funny thing that happened is, the third night that I had moved up to Athens, I lived in a little apartment called The Columns. It's on Millage Avenue, which is Greek Row. Something wonderful happened the third night that I was there. It's called Bid Night. Does anyone know what Bid Night is? A few of you, raise your hand if you know what Bid Night is. Bid Night is when every single girl that rushes for a sorority decides that they all want to, at the same time, walk up and down Millage Avenue and go accept their bid to their sorority. It is a, it's a feast, is what it is. And so for me, I got an invite from one of the, a few guys I actually did know. I said, Matt, listen, we're going to go and walk up and down Millage because it's Bid Night. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So we go and we walk up and down, uh, up and down Millage, up and down Greek Row for Bid Night. But here's, here's the deal. The most wonderful thing that came out of that night was not the ladies that I met. No, it was the friends that I met. Because see, I had prayed going into it the entire time, God, would you bring me friends? And that night, through that one person I knew, I met two guys named Perk and Dugan. Really weird names, and they were friends, and they lived together, and they were awesome. And through those two guys, I met almost every single person that I knew in Athens. Through those two guys. Now, I look at that, and I say, that's an answered prayer. That is an overwhelmingly absolute answered prayer of what I was desiring. And see, I believe that God gave those guys into my life. He put me in the path to meet those two people. That through them, I meet almost everyone I knew in Athens. Because I believe that God designed us for community. 
I think that he wants us, he desires for us to have strong relationships, to build people around us that lift us up, that encourage us, that challenge us, that spur us along to become even stronger. These two guys did it, and through them, I met everyone that I knew. And see, a few years later, I experienced this again, as me and a bunch of my friends, we were all sitting in, a, in the dining hall and skipping class, because uh, that's what we did. Second lunch is what we called it. And we'd sit there, and we were all talking about how we wanted some more community, not just within our friends. We had a ton of friends. But we actually wanted to go deeper in our faith. We wanted to, to challenge each other. We wanted to grow. So we decided to start a small group. And I can say this with absolute certainty, that that small group was not only an answered prayer of what I've been praying at the beginning, but that small group was the single most important reason for why I didn't just survive my college years, I thrived in my college years. It was the single greatest determining factor in my faith growing during this college season of life. And it was wonderful because it was six guys from totally different walks of life. Completely different walks of life. Like my, my son's name is Bowen, and we have like put our foot down, my wife and I, that he will not be called Bo because of one of the guys in my small group. Like think of the most country dude you could possibly imagine. And his name's Bo, right? I'm in a small group with this joker. And not like I can't let my son become Bo, right? Totally just not me at all. But through this relationship, I got to meet someone who became an extremely close friend for two years. He was a walk-on on the football team. He was one of the long snappers. And see, there were six of us in this group. Bo was one of them. And we were all from different walks of life. Now, looking back at it seven years later, these guys are all doing different things. One of them's a pastor in Tennessee. One of them was a groomsman in my wedding, and I was in his. And he's one of the pastors of an incredible church right down the road. Now, one guy's a banker. Bo is an area director for FCA. And one guy is the closer for the Houston Astros. <laughs> for real, I'm not, I'm not playing. He's for real a closer. It's crazy. He was kind of like the dumb athlete. That's basically what he was. And see, we, what, I'm not saying, I was an athlete, it's fine. This element of community that I found in my life in college was paramount to my growth. And I believe that God gave those things to me because he wanted me to grow up. Because he didn't want me to just survive college, he wanted me to thrive in college. Because there's a potential that he had for my life that he wanted me to play out. And there's a potential that God has for your life that he wants you to take hold of and play out. And in order to do that, you're going to have to find some community around you. So there's a guy in the Bible that had to experience the exact same thing. We talked about him last week. His name is Moses. And Moses, last week we learned, had an incredible vision from God. But it couldn't just be him. Because he was leading two million people. And he couldn't handle two million people. So through his leadership and through God's vision and through people stepping up to take part in what God was doing through Israel, Moses was able to complete this potential that he had for him and fulfill this wonderful vision that God gave him. And so as we look into Moses' life, we also see that he needed community in almost the exact same manner. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 16. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 17. And as you turn to Exodus chapter 17... You can, turn, you can go there on your phone, version, incredible app. You can actually turn in your Bible if you want to grab one under your chair. There are Bibles if you don't have one. It's page 73. There's a table of contents in the beginning. Use it. Listen, there is no shame in using the table of contents. Find where the book in the Bible is and go there. It's the second book from the left, number two. 
And in Exodus 17, as you turn there, I'm going to give a little bit of a recap on where we are, where this story is in Exodus. Last week I gave you a recap. There was a whiteboard drawing. I could never do that in my right mind, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell it to you because that's what I do. I talk. Now, the Israelites were God's chosen people. God's chosen people from the very beginning because through Abraham this incredible promise was made that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars and they would eventually find this promised land that no one would ever take from them because the Israelites were God's chosen people. But the Israelites found themselves in Egypt, in slavery. And for 400 years they were in slavery. And then God heard their cries of the fact they were in slavery and made a movement, a vision, a crazy thing happened to get them out of it. And it all happened through Moses. And so Moses was given this staff from God. And this staff held incredible power. And he went before Pharaoh with this staff. And then he dropped the staff on the floor and it turned into a serpent. And he was able to, Pharaoh was able to see God's incredible wonders and his miracles and his power. And then he touched the staff to the Nile River and it all turned to blood. And then he touched the staff onto the ground and the Red Sea parted. And all the Israelites walked through as they escaped Egypt. And all the Egyptians that tried to follow and pursue them were swallowed up by the waters and were killed. And then he touched the staff to some rocks when they were in the wilderness. Because when they left Egypt, it's not like they went to Israel. Israel wasn't a country. They were a nation without a land. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And when they were there, they were griping and quarreling. We don't have any food, so God provided food for them. And in the, in the, the word of manna is what we see it called. And then he provided water for them when they had no water. Because Moses went up to a rock with a staff and said, Hey, there's water. Sweet. And God showed up. God continued to perform miracle after miracle after miracle for his chosen people. And things are on the up and up for Israel. Things are going wonderfully well. And what we see in the beginning of chapter 17 of of the book of Exodus is that they start to quarrel and they need water. And then God shows up and he gives them water. And then verse 8 happens. So let's look at Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. But instead of looking at your Bible, I want to look up at the screen. It's a different version from the ESV, the English Standard Version. This is NIV, ESV. Both are all about Jesus, just different wording. Chapter 17, verse 8 reads this. Then Amalek came out and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So all this wonderful stuff's happening. Then Amalek came out and fought with Israel. At Rephidim. Now, this is a big change in the entire trajectory of where they've been since they left Egypt. God showed up and He showed up again and He showed up again and He had power and miracle and all these things occurring and they're finding freedom. Then Amalek shows up. So, who in the world is this Amalek dude? Well, Amalek, let me give you a little history lesson. Amalek is actually another word for the Amalekites. Amalek would have been the leader of the Amalekite tribe, this other nation. And the Amalekites actually came from the line of Esau. Now, many generations before, before the Israelites even went to Egypt, there was this guy named Jacob. And Jacob was the younger brother of a guy named Esau. And if you've never heard of Jacob and Esau, they're two brothers. Esau was the older one. And Jacob actually received, stole, whatever, received the birthright and the blessing. So normally the older person would always receive the birthright and the blessing. Everything would essentially go to them. They had all the power. Well, in this situation, Jacob received the birthright and the blessing. So God's blessing on Israel and all their people came through Jacob, not Esau. And from that, Esau hated Jacob. So the Amalekites come from the line of Esau. 
and the Israelites come from the line of Jacob. And so there is constant animosity between the two for years. It's happened for over 400 years, at least we know. And so the Amalekites were this consistent adversary through all of the history of Israel. And we watched them fighting out. And here's kind of the scene that I want you to see. Because yes, the Amalekites came and fought them, but here's the deal. Israel's in the wilderness. They were slaves for 400 years. So they don't really have anything. God allowed them to plunder the Egyptians as they left. They've got like makeshift weapons and they're not trained soldiers. And they don't really have a land where they can stay. They're essentially two Two million plus people that are walking nomads in the, in the wilderness, the desert. It's not like they have tents and grounds and barracks and all these things to become this incredible nation with a huge defense, right? Their military is not the strongest in the world. And the Amalekites know this. And so when it says, here's the thing you need to know, when it says that then Amalek came out to fight Israel, what it actually means is, They came up upon them from the back. So Israel's traveling and God's leading them. But in the back, what we see, Deuteronomy, a few books later, actually tells us what happens. Listen into this. This is what it means that they came out. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. Remember what the Amalekites did to you, Israel, along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So Israel's experiencing the blessing that God would have for them. They're experiencing the potential of where God's going to lead them, to the promised land. They're living it out. And from behind, out of nowhere, uninstigated, unexpectedly, the Amalekites come out and start to fight them. Now here's why I'm spending so much time telling you this. Because in your life, the Amalekites will always come. Things are going to come up in your life that are unexpected, that you didn't ask for, that are uninstigated, and they're going to take you out and cause great loss. The people that were weary, the people that were left behind, those that were lagging behind and they were a little bit tired, All were swept up by the Amalekites. In your life, the exact same thing is going to happen. That battle will come. What we want to learn, that's my mic, just kidding. What we want to learn is, then what can we learn from Moses about how how to fight that battle? If the Amalekites in your life will surely come, then how do you find victory? And I think there are two main ways that Moses would show us that we can find victory in those battles but we need to read about it first. So that was verse 8. That's just one verse. We're getting started. So go back now. We're going to read from the NIV, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. I'm going to pick up. You follow along on your phone, in the Bible, wherever it is you're reading. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now remember, we talked, the staff is significant because that's where the power comes from. The power to get out of Egypt, the power to part the Red Sea, the power to have water come out of a rock. All those things happen because the power in that staff, it's God's power. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So was Moses alone? No. 
As long as Moses, now get this, this is the picture. Joshua's on the ground, bottom of the hill. They're in the valley fighting the Amalekites. A nation with more soldiers that are trained, with better weapons that are rested, that are on the offense. And Joshua's going now to fight them as a counter. They didn't instigate it. It is a counter move. So he's down in the valley fighting, and it says that Moses goes to the top of a hill with Aaron and her. And as long as Moses on the top of the hill held his hands up, held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, holding the staff, the Amalekites were winning. Because remember, where's the power? It's in God. It's in the staff. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it underneath him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur came up on one side and the other and they held his hands up so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Moses is doing it all on his own, right? He's leading two million people, and he's got the staff of God. He's the chosen one. And he's like, all right, sweet. How long do you think you can hold your arms up holding something? Wouldn't that be awful? And it's all on you. Like, if you drop your arms, you're done, right? You, you failed, Moses. And Like, game over. See you later. And so he starts to see that he's getting tired, and he's just getting weary, and he just starts to drop. And then Joshua's starting to get pushed back, and they're not winning anymore. And so Aaron and her that are up there with him, Moses was smart enough to bring people, put a rock underneath him, and he sits on the rock. I can do a squat. It's fine. His jeans are a little tight, but it's okay. And then they hold up his hands, and I'm getting tired, so I'm going to stand up now. And as long as his hands were up, they were winning. As long as they were down, they were losing. And Aaron and her realized we need to come alongside Moses and help him so that we can find the victory that God would have for us. See, Moses teaches us two incredible lessons in this story. God wants to reveal something about community, about friends, and about how to find victory in the battles of life because the Amalekites will come. And when they do, there are two things that you need to know in how to find victory. The first is that the power to win comes from God. The power to win comes from God. Moses couldn't do anything on his own. If Moses just went up there and was like, y'all winning? Without a staff, right? No staff, just, I think if I do this, they'll win. Right? Uh, maybe. That would last for 20 seconds. Then he'd be like, this is dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. No, the power to win actually comes from God because it's in the staff. It was the staff the whole way through. God gave it to him and said, this is the sign that I am with you. Go and show Pharaoh my power by that staff turning into a serpent. Go and turn the Nile to blood as a plague so that they understand my power and who I am. Go and touch the Red Sea and watch it part so that you can escape to freedom and they'll get swept up because it's my power. Touch that rock so now your people will stop moaning and crying and complaining so they can have water. Watch this miracle happen because of my staff, because of my power. See, the power to win is completely in God. Moses knew he couldn't do it alone, though. He took Aaron and her with him for a reason. So while the power to win comes from God, Moses also shows us that the support to win the battles comes from friends. And that's the second thing. 
the support to win comes from friends. Aaron wasn't just any old Israelite. Aaron was Moses' brother. Actually, his older brother. And Hur wasn't anyone either. Many scholars believe that he was actually probably his brother-in-law, the husband to his sister Miriam. See, Moses knew that if he was going to go into this intense moment where he was going to be obedient to what God was calling him to do, to send Joshua to go fight on the ground, and he was going to go up top and beg and pray and lift his hands towards the heavens that God would show up and bring victory, that he needed people around him. He could never do it alone. That's the exact same thing that we have to realize in our life. God has incredible things in store for you, but you can never do it alone. The immense potential that you have for your life and the kingdom impact you can make and what you can do in this ministry if you decide, listen, I'm a leader. I know I have it within me. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to serve, and I'm going to help become a force in this place. You can never do it alone. I can't do it alone. I need you. And you can't do it alone. You need each other. See, the Bible consistently over and over and over shows us that we are made for relationships. We're made for community. It's why marriage exists. How many of y'all are married? Ha, I win. Because my hand was raised, get it, because I'm married. Yeah. Now see, marriage is a wonderful blessing. Did you know that marriage is actually God's idea? Marriage is one of the first unions that ever occurs in the history of man. Because in Genesis, God made Adam. And Adam was over everything, over all the livestock. He got to name all of them. That's a... That's a giraffe. How did you come up with a giraffe? giraffe? That's a long-necked, four-legged thing. Like, that's not a giraffe, right? He got to name everything. He had domain over everything. And yet God looked at him and said, something's not right with you. You've never been able to find a right, the right mate. You've never been able to find the right community. You need another person. And so he made him go to sleep, and he took a rib out of his side, and he fashioned a woman, and they became married. That's where marriage started. Marriage is God's idea. Because God knows that we are made for relationship. We are made for community. And we are best when we have it. And that's Genesis 2.18, that it's not good for man to be alone. A little further on in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 9, uh, 9 through 12, you can follow along up here. It says this about having relationships. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. So C12, if you want to grow your faith, if you want to grow up, if you don't want to just survive college, but if you want to thrive in these college years, 18 to 25, somewhere in there, you got to build people around you. you got to realize that the power to defeat these, these battles, the power to find victory, comes from God. But that God desires for you to have friends around you, to hold each other accountable, to challenge each other, to experience the same thing that I had in college with those six guys. We met every single week. We committed to put time into our week. We built it out and we said, we're going to pour into each other. We're going to invest in each other. We're going to hold each other accountable. Make sure we're living above reproach. And we're going to push each other intellectually forward in our spiritual life. Because we want to be better. We don't want to just survive college. We want to thrive in college. 
And the way that I did that was with a small group. And C12, the way that we're going to do that is with our small groups. So over the last few semesters, however long we've been doing this, there have been small groups in C12. But we're going to revamp them. We're going to make them new. Because I believe that there is something greater in your life that happens when you get in a small group. When you say, I don't want to do this alone. Because I realize I'm never going to fulfill the potential that God would have for me if I try to do it alone. And I want to fulfill the potential that God would have for me. I want to live the best possible life. Then get friends around you. Learn from Moses. He took Aaron and her with him into a difficult situation. Knowing that he had to have the support of his friends to win that battle. So what we're going to do is launch small groups. And with our small groups, we're going to utilize that little Christmas gift that I gave you last semester called Right Now Media. It's going to drive our conversation. And every single one of you that joins up in a small group, the encouragement for all of you is that you would find community. You'd find friends. You'd find people that would hold you accountable, that would encourage you to grow, that wouldn't let you just survive college, that would push you to thrive in college. And so I want all of you to answer one question in your head right now. One question to think of, to put in your heart, that you can answer. If I went into battle right now, if the Amalekites came to me tonight, would I have enough support to find victory? Think about where you are in your life. What kind of influences do you have? Are you someone that's influencing others? Are you being influenced by others? If a battle came upon you tonight, if the Amalekites come, because they surely will, unexpected, uninstigated, sweeping up from behind, out of nowhere, would you have enough support to find victory? Because the power to find victory comes from God, but the support to find victory comes from friends. And as the battle comes, the good news is that every single one of us can find victory, that God gives it to us. He desires for us to have it. He didn't want Israel to perish. He wanted them to live. And the greater news is that in Jesus, we find that we have both Joshua and Moses. Because Joshua's all, Joshua, in the same way that he went out before Israel and he led them into battle, Jesus goes before you and he leads you into that battle. He says, come alongside me, I got you. But in the exact same regard, he's also Moses. That he intercedes for us and he's constantly putting his hands towards heaven saying, I'm going to intercede for you and make it so that you can find victory. You can rest on my power. And when you do that and you surround yourself with other people, you start not to just survive college, you start to thrive in college. So ask yourself the question, if I went into battle tonight, would I have enough support to find victory? And maybe some of you would say, you know what, I do. Awesome then you understand what I'm saying and you agree because you get it. Keep on bringing friends around you. Join up in a small group. Keep pressing yourself forward and start to thrive. And for those of you that would say, you know what, I don't, then we're going to have an opportunity tonight for you to sign up for a small group. For this semester, we're going after the C12, and I think this is going to be an integral part to this movement of who we're going to become. But for all of you over the next few moments, what I want to actually do is give you an opportunity to worship. Here's why. Because some of you would say, I don't know that I have, I have that community. I don't know that I have enough. Then I would ask you, I'd invite you to actually pray. God, in the same way that I prayed before I went to Athens, God, would you bring friends into my life? Pray the exact same thing. 
God, would you give me courage to pray that friends would come into my life? Would you give me courage then to go and sign up for a small group? And would you fashion people into my life around me that are exactly what I need in this season? Because you know me better than I do. And for the rest of you, maybe it's even the call of, you know what, I think I could lead a small group. I think there are leadership opportunities. I have the capability to go and lead this because I know what it's like to have friends around you and how important it is. And for all of us, the main thing that I want to ask you to do is over the next few moments while we worship, we want to worship in thanking God that he gives us the victory, thanking God that he allows us to find relationships and community. In the exact same time, I want you to ask God, what is the potential that you would have for me in this semester? What is it that you want me to do? What's the greater thing for me in my life? Because if you're bold enough to ask him that, he'll show you. Continue to ask him that. We're on a path towards him and saying, what's the potential you have for me? He will reveal that to you. And I can promise you this. A primary way that you're going to find that is if you find a small group. A group of people that come around you to challenge you, to encourage you, to lift you up when you've fallen down, to put a rock under you so you don't have to do this all the time. To encourage you and press you along so that you don't just survive your college years, so that you thrive in them. So the next few moments, pray that God would show up in that way and all of us get to praise him for who he is and what he's doing. So let me pray over us and we'll step in. Father, I, I thank you that within my story, you allow me to see that this is real. And I'm not just teaching this because, because I get it, because it makes sense or because I read it. I'm teaching this because I experienced it because you placed friends in my life exactly when I needed them. I prayed and you answered. You heard my cry and you came to my help. So God, I am so grateful that you did that, but in the exact same regard, Father, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would spur every single person in this place to realize that you can't do it alone, that you need help beside you. So Holy Spirit, would you invite every single one in this room to go and sign up to say, I want to find community. I want to be a part of a group of people that challenge me, that love me, that push me, that don't want to see me stay where I am, but want to see me grow. Father, would that be something that becomes a trend in this place, that blows away our expectations, that creates incredible problems where we got to find out how to get these people more opportunities to be in a group? Because God, you want to do more than we could ever think of. Our dreams are minuscule to you, and they're never too big for you. So I pray that you would overwhelm us with your kindness, overwhelm us with your grace. Allow us to worship you freely because you give us the opportunity to grow, to come into your presence and say, would you take over because we surrender to you. So Father, have your way in this place, have your way in their hearts, have your way in this ministry as we continue to move forward and finding out who you are and what you would want for us and be made famous among us. Would you be on the edge of our tongues? Would you be all over our words? Would you be in our presence? And as a result of that, may we worship you with everything that we have. So Father, speak to us, reveal the potential within us and allow us to give you everything we have in Jesus' name, amen.